How's it going? Welcome to the Chris Orr Worship Podcast. My name is Chris, and you're listening to episode four. And we are super pumped about today's episode as I'll be chatting with Chris Sly. I actually recorded this interview just a couple of weeks ago with Chris, and I have been so fortunate to get to know him, and I look forward to you getting to hear from him today. Again, I just want to take an opportunity to thank everyone who has subscribed to this podcast. You can do so anywhere podcasts are available, but you can also go directly on chrisorworship.com and you can listen to it there, along with any of the other podcasts that we have recorded up until this point. So again, I look forward to to you hearing from Chris Sly, and here we go. So I'm here with my buddy Chris Sly. Uh, Chris and I have known each other now for about a year and a half, and uh, Chris has led worship here at the church that, that I serve at. But more than that, we have become great friends, and we love getting together eating hot chicken, eating uh, Mexican food, and just talking about life. So recently we were talking and I said, man, I need to get you on my podcast and we need to talk about something. And when just, just to preface our conversations, a lot of times we typically have no agenda when we get together other than just we're going to eat. And usually about an hour and a half later, we both say it's time to go home because yeah. <laughs> I need to, I need to get back to work. You need to get back to recording something or something like that. So, but Chris, why don't we just kick it off? And I mean, for the four people on planet earth who've never heard of you, who don't know anything about you, tell us just who is Chris Sly? Um, I am a, uh, artist and worship leader and songwriter and producer. And, uh, I mean, I do, Pretty much if there's anything to do with creativity and music and the church, chances are that I have my hand in it somehow or another. Uh, and so I have um, been doing this. I started off, um, I went to college to be an opera singer and uh, and then did not become an opera singer. Uh, began to travel back in 2000, the year 2000. Um, I began to travel around the Southeast and... Uh, with my band, and all along I was a worship leader. I was the first contemporary worship leader at three different churches, so that was, uh, I went through the front lines of the worship wars. I got rid of more than one organ, um, you know, so I was that guy at a couple of different churches, which is super fun when you're a 22-year-old getting rid of a 67-year-old's organ. Sure. But, um, yeah, so I've been through it all, worked at a couple of the largest churches in America, and now I am based in Nashville, where uh, Chris and I get together and have Nashville Chicken, and I write, and I produce artists, and I sing, and I go out on tour and lead worship, and that's kind of my life. It's a, it is a blessing and a curse. It's a blessing because I get to do what I love. It's a curse because, um, you know, the music business is the music business, and um, church world is church world. So we uh, we learn, we live, and we learn. And then Chris and I get together and eat hot chicken, and we uh, and we talk about life, love, and other mysteries. Not the seminal Point of Grace album from 1996, <laughs> but uh, 
the real life love and other mysteries. So <laughs> I love it. So of course, um, people know uh, about Idol, and many people, you know, were first introduced to you uh, through that medium. Um, yeah, is there anything that you share with us? Something funny about Idol that most people don't know that you're like, you need to know this. Yeah, so the fun thing about Idol is I think that you don't realize how much of a TV show it is until you're on there. And so a lot of people are like, man, was the experience of being on American Idol super, super fun? And it actually was not super fun, uh, not because of politics or anything like that, though there was some of that stuff. For me, it was uh, one of the most boring experiences uh, ever because you are, uh, number one, you are a Fox um, Corporation asset. And so you cannot go anywhere without security guards. And um, no one is allowed, like, for instance, we, they kept us in a hotel, on, you know, on La Cienega in L.A. And, like, my wife and I had been married for four years, and so my wife was not allowed to come up to my hotel room, uh, which was crazy. But I wasn't allowed to go anywhere with her. So I actually got in big trouble for uh, inviting um, for inviting my like sneaking my wife up to my hotel room to hang out with me. Um, so you're telling me no all... one has ever procreated on American Idol before? <laughs> no, they have. That's why they have these rules. <laughs> like, apparently, apparently there were past there were past uh, contestants who uh, perhaps enjoyed their newfound uh, fame a little bit too much. And so um, they had all of these new rules. And then there's the fairness rules that, like, if one person has a coaching session at 7 o'clock in the morning, then literally everyone has to leave the hotel at 6.30 or 6.15 or whatever to go and be there for their vocal rehearsal. And we just wait around in these dressing rooms. And this is, like, pre-Wi-Fi. They had two outlets for Internet. And no, no smartphones. This is 2007. It's right. In fact, on the American Idol tour, we ended up all getting iPhones from Apple. Um, and so we were just in this really like we sat. It was like 140 hours a, a week or something crazy that we're at the studio doing absolutely nothing. And so it was. Um, it was for somebody with ADD like me who loves to work and I didn't have like any recording equipment out there. And so I was just, I was literally going crazy. Like I was, uh, it was, it was insane. So actually I, I jokingly say that the happiest day of my life outside of my daughter being born and my and uh, my son being born and my wedding day was literally the day that I got voted off of American Idol. So <laughs> Funny so stuff. there's a fun story about American Idol. I'm really grateful for what American Idol did for me. I probably would not know Chris Orr. I probably would not talk, be talking to Chris Orr on his world-famous Absolutely. podcast So uh, for, if it wasn't for American For the Idol. seven or eight people who are listening today, they are <laughs> thankful for American Idol. So one of our recent conversations you and I were talking about, um, I was talking to you just about the context of the church where I lead, which is awesome here in Nashville. But we're very multi-generational, and oftentimes uh, there are aspects of worship that are more natural to, let's just say, a certain generation and yet not an, an, another generation. And that can go two ways. 
But that led to you and I sort of talking about just trends in worship and how trends in worship have changed over the years. Talk a little bit about when you first started leading worship. I'm interested to hear what were sort of the rhythms of how you led and has that changed um, dramatically over the years? And if so, what are some of those changes? Yeah, I think that um, early in our time of leading worship, because I think you and I are about the same age. Like, I think we mm-hmm. we started leading worship probably around the same time, late 90s, early 2000s. It was all brand new. Like, I remember when Chris Tomlin's first album first came out. And I remember thinking, man, I'm going to lead all of these songs. You know, like, this is just incredible. Like, there's nothing like this. And now there's so many resources for people to be able to uh, help themselves from the forum that we met on, uh, you know, where we met, which is on Facebook. Mm -hmm. You know, there's tons of advice, not always good, but there's tons of advice to be had. Um, There's tons of places where you can get coaching. I mean, when we were coming up, it just was, it was a totally different landscape for the worship leaders. So like the idea of like planning sets, like was just not, we just did like early in the time it was like well how many songs can we do okay we're doing four songs are there any songs that kind of remotely fit sort of what the message is talking about are there is there a new up tempo song we need to start off with an up tempo song we need to end with a ballad nowadays i think it's a little bit more refined and so i think that maybe like what we see today is there's a lot more um by necessity i think there's a lot more intention that goes into our mm. planning, and there's a lot more, um, I think, really smart thinking about how we reach certain audiences. But that just wasn't the case. Like, no one was thinking like that, that I knew at least, that was thinking mm. like that. Whereas now, like today, um, today I see so many um, people at no matter the size of church, no matter what denomination. They're coming at it in really intelligent ways because they have podcasts, they have worship tutorials where they can watch Brian and his team of people talk about different subjects. Mm-hmm. You've got uh, the ability to get coaching through like the worship circle with Todd Fields and some of those guys. Mm-hmm. Um, you can there's all of these ways that you can learn more, and I think we've seen that there's this distinct need for help in church. And so I think that what's changed between then and now is just the sheer amount, the sheer possibility for things to be better than they were. To be good back in 2000, um, it was more rare than it is now. Like when you, like I remember when I would go lead worship at churches and this was like in the days when Baptist churches especially still did like the special every week. And so I would literally, my band and I would have um, churches that would book us just to come be the special music. Like, it's so weird thinking about it now. Like, our band is, like, setting up, like, to do, a, like, mm-hmm. two songs in this special, you know, time period. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, and we would go in and do our one special song. And so we would see this church's worship band do their thing. And, man, the sheer amount of awfulness that we experienced in some of those, like, you know, even large churches was really, really eye-opening. Like, 
Um, and so whenever you saw somebody that was really good, like I remember Aaron Keyes was a worship leader in Greenville, uh, South Carolina, where I was yeah. from. And I remember going and seeing Aaron and just being blown away because he was so much better than everyone else in the area. And um, But now the Aaron Keys and the Chris Slys and whoever it was that were pretty good back then, that's a, everyone's that good now. It really is crazy how much better and how like sort of democratizing the internet has made how you can raise your level of skill. And so when you raise your level of skill, what it does for us as worship leaders is it uh, it frees us up from having to focus on the skill level and it allows us to focus on what I believe to be the really important stuff, which is the theory, the the theology, the philosophy of it all. Mm. And so I would say that that's probably the biggest trend that I see is that I see more and more people that 15 years ago would never have had time to even process through anything theological or philosophical. Now, because it's easier and easier to be good, now we have time to talk about this kind of stuff. So a couple of things I heard you say, we, we've moved from worship being an afterthought where literally, hey, it's song leading, it's Christian karaoke, just get up and sing three or four songs and let's get to either the special music or the pastor and the preaching and that thing. But there's been more intentionality and we're, and I hate this and maybe you and I'll agree on this. Maybe we won't, but you know, so many times people will use the, the phrase, man, I hate it when church uses so much production and all this stuff, but but the idea behind we're trying to create an experience that right. people come and they walk away because oftentimes people won't remember sp- specific songs, but they will remember an experience and they'll go, wow, worship was amazing. And you'll say, well, what song did they sing? And they may be able to recall it, but the major thing they say is, man, God just spoke to me. So again, I hear you talking about that change, but then there's also what I'm hearing you say about tools and things that have raised the playing field so that professionals aren't the only ones that can do it at this level. Now the bivocational dude who works a nine to five at wherever has the same ability to find training, do these things, and do it at the same level that, again, some of the professionals are doing. So let me ask you this. Well, I want to say one thought real quick. I was going to say, like, for instance, to play off of what you just said, when I I got Reason back in 2003 or Mm -hmm. 2004 or something, and back then, if you wanted to have tracks, you had to create your own tracks. Now you can literally go to multitracks.com mm-hmm. or Loop Community or Worship Tutorials is getting ready to release a bunch of tracks. And uh, you can go to these different places that are hubs where they're going to have tracks. And you can literally get like tracks that some professional producer has created and spent all the time on that you can get for anywhere from 15 to 40 bucks. Back mm-hmm. then I would spend 10 hours, 20 hours. And I was not a full-time worship professional. Like mm-hmm. I was working a full-time job. I would go home, create tracks for my band to use, for my church to use. Um, 
And so we, we sounded better because we were using the tools that professionals use. Now everyone gets to use the tools that professionals use. So to that point, there are some dangers in that uh, that I think we both would agree are real dangers. I'd love to hear from your perspective what you think some of those dangers are in the fact that anyone now can go online and they can watch training videos. They can see these things that in and of themselves aren't bad, but are we getting the cart before the horse? Is there, um, is there a danger that you see? Well, I think the danger is, is that you begin to believe that because you can do all of the same things that you know, North Point or Bethel or Hillsong or whoever is doing, that then you should do those things. And I think that sometimes, like, um, I I kind of have a philosophy that um, I think that growth is something that is really important, and I think that we should push forward, and we should we should definitely, definitely, definitely always be striving for excellence. Um, but I also think that excellence can become such a, um, an idol that we don't stop and we, and process through like, okay, we have a church, our building seats 150. Should we really be doing the same things that we saw at passion conference? And the answer usually is no, you should not be doing like, uh, I, I went to a church recently and, um, it was not here in Nashville. So I'm not, I don't, I don't want to you know, so I'm not saying anything bad about a church, um, that anyone's going to know what it was, but I walked into this church and, and it was, um, it was like 150 seats tops. And they literally were trying to do like the full light show. They were trying to do the full, like, um, like they were really, really going for it, but they were doing it with like, you know, like little disco lights so like they just looked like really herky jerky and it just looked like uh, like it just didn't look great like it didn't look good and um and so like if i were ever in trust with that in a conversation with um you know the leaders of that place what i would want to say is like yeah like we can do everything that that these big places do, but I think that maybe the calling and the, or maybe the anointing on a smaller place is different than it is on a larger place. And that's okay. Um, and so I think that, that sometimes like we go, we can do this, but we don't ask, should we do this? Yeah. Yeah. You know, one of the things I was sharing with you the other day, and this is, man, this is so good. We were talking about how Oftentimes, you know, we hear in worship today, especially on albums, and Bethel is great at this. It seems like Bethel puts out a new record every other week, but <laughs> they will capture worship moments. And again, yeah. speaking contextually about Bethel, you know, it's different than anywhere else. It can't right. be just replicated and, man, we're going to do that at, at our place, but they will capture a worship moment and track it down, print it, put it on Spotify, whatever, and we all listen to it, and it's a nine-minute recording of a song or a 12-minute recording, and we hear it and we go, man, we're going to do that song, and we're going to do it exactly the way that they do it, when in essence, sure. 
again, what we're trying to do is replicate a moment. In fact, I would be surprised if Bethel even does their arrangements exactly like they did it on the recording. Speak to some something to that, because I know you and I talked about it, but what is the trend of we're also trying to replicate something that God did in a moment, and we're trying to make that same moment happen in our environment? Right, yeah. Um, you know, I think that maybe one of the things that I see often is people want the payoff without the work. Hmm. And so, like, what I know about Bethel is that um, those guys have been doing this for a really, really long time in the same way. And so these magical sort of, like, spontaneous moments don't just happen because suddenly the Holy Spirit falls down and goes, Jen Johnson, I'm going to give you this thing, which I think the Holy Spirit does do that in that moment. But they have spent literally years refining their ability to receive those moments. And we now see worship leaders that go, oh, yeah, I want that spontaneous sort of thing, and I'm just going to go for it in a service. And I'm going to do it the same way. And then it, it stinks. Or they're taking like a spontaneous moment, like you're saying, like they're taking a spontaneous moment that Jen Johnson did in this moment that's not really a song. And we're expecting it to translate in the same way that it did in that moment, which to me, it feels like, you know, like No Longer Slaves, one of my favorite songs to lead. Um, I typically, like, I really like the little spontaneous part that's in the middle. You know, I am surrounded, you know. Mm, but yeah. when you watch that video, that's, like, literally, that's not a part of the song. That's literally, uh, you know, John David Helzer, um, or at least it seems to me that's John David Helzer kind of going into this spontaneous moment. And, and I always felt weird singing that because it just felt strange singing this sort of, um, what seemed like a spontaneous sort of thing that happened. Mm. And maybe it's not, maybe it is a part of the song, but I always kind of go from the second chorus straight into the woes and then mm -hmm. a little bit like the radio version. Um, and then I, I've seen people that do that I'm surrounded. I, I was in a church that did the I'm surrounded um, not too long ago. And I was looking around at people that were just staring. And then it got to the woes, and suddenly they were singing again. And so sometimes I do wonder if, like, we take these spontaneous moments, and they seem cool to us, and, and it makes us feel something, and we want to recreate that. But maybe sometimes, not always, but sometimes I just wonder if maybe that's not ours to do something with, you know? Mm -hmm. I don't know. I, I think that's a deeply philosophical question that you have to decide for each church for their own. Sure. But my personal feeling, and again, it's just an opinion, my personal feeling is um, I I really, um, I, I feel strange trying to do somebody else's spontaneous worship, personally. So speak to this, what are some of the trends that you think we're on the tail end of seeing uh, in worship services when it comes to the way that we plan out the music portion of our worship service because again we realize that there have been things that 
have happened over the year that were a great idea at one point and then we moved on to something else stylistically just because the context changed and we adjusted. Um, so for that very reason, you have to imagine that soon we won't be doing some of the things that we're doing now. And that doesn't take anything away from worship. It just is a part of contextually how we change and we evolve as churches when it comes to communicating with people. What are some things, if you could be a fortune teller and say that here's where I see some trends ending that we have been stuck in and here's what the new ideation of certain things in worship will look like? Yeah, I don't know that I don't know that I can necessarily answer that question fully, but what I would say is that I think that for a very long time we kind of had this model of we're going to play a top 40 hit somewhere in the, you know, in the in the worship period. We're going to do two worship songs, we're going to do announcements and kind of this sort of ultra programmed sort of um consumer friendly um sort of mentality that i think uh, that honestly like i loved at one point like i remember you know going to north point and kind of seeing that them do a top 40 song and i was like wait doing a top 40 song in church like that's crazy like that's awesome like i'm gonna do that now you know and i i went back and started doing that stuff and um you know this was probably gosh 12 15 years ago now and um, I think that um, we saw that sort of model, you know, like my church currently here in Nashville is a church called Crosspoint Church. Crosspoint was like really at the forefront of that early on, like really being like, you know, we're going to play top 40 hits, you know, every week. Every special is going to be a secular song, almost every special at least. And, uh, and I think that there was some sort of like... Um, I think there was some value to that at a, at a in a time period. I think that what we see now, if I'm going to say that there's a trend that's coming, what I would say is that I think that the trend that's coming has to be uh, authenticity. Mm. I think that um, we we uh, one of the things that I've really gotten into the last four or five years has really been the studying of uh, generations, and as I look at millennials in particular who are who are leaving church in you know, greater numbers than Xers and certainly greater numbers than boomers. And I do think that there are things that we're not taking into consideration with millennials. Like for instance, we're not taking into consideration that most boomers started going back to church when they had kids. Millennials are waiting to have kids longer than any generation before them. Uh, Xers were kind of the same way. So I, I have a feeling that um, we will see not as many millennials come back to church, but we there will not be quite as many millennials leave, you know, leaving church as mm -hmm. it seems like there are now. But that said, one of the things that we know about millennials is that they are turned off by the youth group trying to be cool culture that has invaded our churches for a really, really long time. So I think the discussions that I see a lot of like worship leaders and pastors and church leaders having is how do we reach, you know, this generation that seems to be leaving in droves? And the answer is authenticity. So what does authenticity look like? I don't think that it's being cool. I don't think that playing top 40 hits is going to be impressive 
anymore because you can go to YouTube and see better production values than you get at a church now by some dumb kid making something in his basement that's amazing, you know? And, um, and so, like, the idea that we can impress people now, I think, has to be done away with. I think that um, church is not meant to be impressive. Church is not meant to be cool. Worship music is not for the outsider. It is an insider sport. Mm -hmm. It is for, literally, worship is only for believers. That is not to say that we should be exclusive and do stuff that pushes the unbeliever away. But I believe that when believers are authentic to who we are, that that is a thing that will be attractive to the outside, the unchurched, the de-churched. I think when they look at our church, when they come into our church and they see, what is this? What are these people doing? Like, are they trying to be cool right now? Like, I don't think church is cool. Why are you trying to be cool? I'm here to get something to take away. And I think that when it comes to music, the more authentic that we can be, um, that the greater uh, the greater that we will the greater impact that we will be able to have, and so I think that that is a trend that I'm sensing amongst worship leaders as I talk to people, and I really hope that that is the trend going forward because that is absolutely what we need coming off of you know a, a ten year period where it really felt like the church was really trying to be cool mm. an awful lot. And I just, I wish that we could get rid of that. We do not need to be cool. What we do need to be is real and authentic. And I think that deep and passionate worship is a way for us to be authentic to the world around us. As we wrap up, um, what can people uh, be praying for you about? But also, you've got your hands in some really cool stuff. You've mentioned Brian earlier, and you're referring to Brian Wall. And you and he are partnering on some stuff, and some of that's going to be available here soon. Tell us a little bit about what's coming up uh, from Chris Sly, and again, some ways that we can be praying. Yeah, uh, I've got um, a, a pretty massive project that I'm working on with Brian and Worship Tutorials, and it's unbelievable. If you're not familiar with Worship Tutorials, Worship Tutorials is one of the biggest worship kind of websites, and it's just Brian has built this following from learning how to play songs on YouTube that has given him this voice to now speak to so many leaders in the church and give resources to so many leaders in the church. And so he and I have become friends and we're kind of doing this partnership where we are uh, arranging songs, so many small churches, um, uh, and when I say small, I mean um, 97% of churches in America are less than 300 people. And, um, and so, so many smaller-ish churches, less than a thousand people, they look at like a Phil Wickham song and they go like, man, how do we do that song with tracks, you know, when there's 16 synth tracks and seven guitar tracks and, you know, it's going to sound weird with our band being three, four people, you know. So um, what we're trying to do is create um, versions of these songs that are more organic and yet kind of um, really fit into um, the ethos of what the song is. So we're going to be releasing some of that. I'm doing some partnership with videos and stuff like that with them. 
And um, and then I'm actually releasing a new album of worship covers. I've done some new arrangements of songs. And so just be praying for that. I'm songwriting. If there's any songwriters out there that want to um, hook up and write some um, songs for the church, I'm always down for that. I'm producing. If you're an artist that's looking for production, I'd love to um, help you kind of imagine your songs. So that's kind of, you know, what I'm doing is just praying that God will um, bless. I walked away from a church job uh, about two years ago and um, thought that this was going to be a very short season in my life, and yet God has made it clear that um, and has blessed in a way that has made it uh, clear that this is where we're supposed to be for now. And so uh, I'm just praying, if you're, if you're praying for me, I'm praying that God just uses me in whatever way it is that he sees fit and that... Um, uh, that I can in in being used by God can also pay my bills. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, chrisly.org, and that's c h r i s s l i g h dot org, and um, yeah. And the other thing I would just encourage anybody is that you know I've done this with Chris, but. Um, if you're ever going to bring in a guest worship leader or someone uh, just to come in and minister to your folks uh, on a weekend where either you're taking a break or maybe it's just a special event, man, really pray and consider Chris because, man, he um, he really ministered to our folks. And it, he didn't just come in and sing songs. Hmm. He came in and really minister to our folks. But yeah, you can get his information and of course, follow him on Instagram and Twitter and Facebook. But uh, man, thanks so much, Chris, for hanging out with us today. And uh, I know we'll do this again uh, and maybe we'll find another rearing topic, (laughs) uh, something that will be birthed over fajita nachos, (laughs) I'm sure with you and I, but... uh, Nonetheless, dude, thanks so much for hanging with us today. That's awesome, man. Thanks, Chris. Appreciate it. What a great conversation. Thank you so much for listening in today. I'm excited about Episode 5 coming up in just a little over a week with Paul Herman. Paul works for Christian Copyright Licensing International, which is CCLI for the worship leaders who maybe aren't familiar with the full name. But I don't know about you, but I'm oftentimes uh, wondering what exactly uh, is legal when it comes to uh, copying music, when it comes to projecting lyrics up on the screen, things like that. And there are oftentimes I have questions, and Paul's here to answer and talk through some of those commonly asked questions. And I look forward to you hearing from him. Uh, Again, thanks for tuning in today. 